comes jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furry as a mouse, it's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 172, Reset Button. Monday, July 3rd, 2017. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yinhu podcast has a Facebook page, and it's available on iTunes. Each week, I post show notes, photographs, and links to the things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features the following segments. The back porch, the front porch, ever expanding skill set, and so forth. Before I get going with the regular segments, I will announce the winners of the Summer Top Make Along. Thank you so much to everyone who participated. I think it was a really successful make along. There were Lots and lots of finished projects, as well as folks who were able to get motivated to start some things, and many of you reported that you will be continuing into the summer, finishing the makes that you began. So thanks so much for your participation. I chose from posts number 1 to 270. And that was the number of posts that were up by the time I completed my second Tsumu Tsukazi sweater. So I thought that was a, a decent arbitrary cutoff. But I have not closed the thread because I think there's still great information on there. And people did say they were still working on projects. So I hope if that's you, you will post some progress or completed object photos as the summer continues. If you are one of the lucky winners of today's prizes, please contact me via Ravelry message with all of your pertinent information so I can get your prize to you as quickly as possible. The first prize was contributed by Craft Buzz. It's a printed project bag that you can personalize by using fabric markers, embroidery, felting, or maybe a combination of those. The winner of that prize for post number 42 is Holity. And Terry knit the beautiful windswept vest in gorgeous linen. So congratulations, Holity. Next up is one of Fernanda, she's made by Fee on Ravelry. She uh, crafted some beautiful quilted project totes out of all kinds of like a really eclectic mix of fabric. These are sturdy, they're quite large and durable. And the winner of one of those for post number 38 is Judy in the Dyes. Judy's makes included the Kayleen and also the Perfect Summer Shell. A second quilted project bag is for post number 177, Susie123, who sewed the plantain top by Deer and Doe. It's absolutely darling. Finally, for a $25 gift certificate, to the Woolly Thistle, which was contributed by Claire of the New Hampshire Knits podcast. That's awarded to, for post number 262, the Jasper Patch. And Amy Jane had several contributions to this thread, 
but one that I, it really caught my eye, was her endless summer tunic, which she personalized by doing a bias cut on the dress fronts, or tunic fronts, I should say, in this beautiful diamond print fabric, and it just matches up perfectly. It's very, very striking. Congratulations to our prize winners and to everyone who has a summer top or two or three to add to your wardrobe. Congratulations. I just remembered that I wanted to throw in a prize as well. I am contributing a Ravelry pattern prize of your choice. And for my prize drawing, I limited potential winners to those who posted photographs of finished objects or work in progress on the thread. And the winner for the pattern prize is for post number 185, Rana Casement. And she knit a beautiful sweater with the detailing at the top creates these wonderful increases for the yoke of the sweater. It's the raindrops sweater. Very darling. So congratulations, Rana Casement. Congratulations to all our winners. And thank you so much to those folks who donated prizes for this make-along. I'm very appreciative to have prizes to give away on the podcast. So thanks so much. The Back Porch. This morning, I completed the knitting on my second Tsumu Tsukazi top. I really love the shaping and the ease of knitting on this wonderful sweater designed by Michio. And this time, I knit the garment in beautiful Samite from Blacker Yarns. Of course, I ordered this from Claire at the Woolly Thistle. And the color I chose is Bursting Fig. It's a beautiful brown-leaning purple. It's the kind of color that can look very different in different lighting and depending on what you pair it with. It's decidedly colorful, uh, not bright, but it has color to it. It's not a neutral. But I think it's the kind of color that can be incredibly versatile in a wardrobe. And I altered this uh, version of Tsumu Tsukazi slightly by doing one less repeat in each of the sections of the pattern. There are three distinct sections of the pattern. The yoke and then the sleeves, which are knit back and forth. And then you join up in the round again to knit the body, and that includes some short row shaping. So in each of those sections, I eliminated one of the pattern repeats. That's partly because I thought that some of the tops seem a little bit oversized. And because I stuck with U.S. size 5 needles for most of the knitting on this project... In my previous version of the sweater, I used US 4, and the gauge was a little bit tighter. I think the yarn was also finer, and so I didn't get as large a size. I knit the smallest size of this sweater, and it's perfectly roomy and relaxed. It is not a fitted sweater by any means, uh, but it has some really nice shaping and interesting swirling lines to it as the name of the pattern is translated from Japanese meaning whirlwind and it's meant to sort of twirl around your waist in a graceful manner. One thing that I'm a little bit disappointed with is the neckline of the sweater It's completely symmetrical, and I think I could have done with a little bit of shaping. Um, After I tried this second version on, I thought the neck had a little bit of funnel shaping to it, but I completely submerged this top in very hot water, and it's now drying on my new drying rack, 
And so I'll see if maybe that improves the fit of the neckline a little bit. I can always use the steam setting on my iron as well to kind of relax the stitches and shape it a little bit more. But I think this is a wardrobe staple for sure, something I'm going to get a lot of use out of. And I think that after repeated washings, the, the texture and the feel of this yarn will just keep improving. It has a wonderful slubby silk texture to it, which also creates some subtle variations in color in the yarn. And uh, it's just really a beautiful, exquisite yarn. And I can't wait to knit with more of it, maybe in another color. I did not use up all of the two skeins that I have, so I still have maybe about a third of a skein left, and I think those colors match up pretty well with one another for maybe a color work project or something in the future. The front porch. Over the past week, I hit the project reset button on a project that I had knit completely and then frogged around this time last summer. I, I think I was somewhat rash in my decision to rip it out, and I really didn't have a better idea for the yarn. The project is a take on Rose Candy designed by Martina Baim. And the yarn is the beautiful Riften yarn by Jill Draper. My colorway is the summer colorway. These yarns are single ply, like a DK to worsted weight, and they're dyed in the wool, beautifully blended, and they consist of two dyed colors and two undyed colors from beautiful uh, US sourced wool. And uh, this skein is very particular. It's 600 yards. And I just think it's not the kind of yarn you can just do anything with. So I like the idea of using this project. It's kind of a cowl, but Martina Baim's design is for fingering weight yarn in two colors. So interpreting this via the Riften takes a little bit of imagination. And I think I was just maybe a little scared of the project. I could have blocked it and figured out if it, you know, maybe could have sufficed. But I just, somewhere I went awry. I had also made a mistake early on in the pattern and tried to fix it. And even though Mary Beth insisted you couldn't see it, it was just bothering me. I usually don't behave that way with a project. I don't know. But I, I wanted to revisit this and... Uh, in the year that's passed, I didn't really get any other better ideas of what to do with this yarn that I really wanted. So I went back to the rose candy. And Martina Baim's patterns and construction are so interesting because most of the time it's just all garter stitch knitting, but she puts such interesting shaping into it. And so I have not completed this project, so I'm not sure that I'm going to be happy with it a second time, but I am committed to seeing it through to the end. I'm following the pattern instructions and then doing some additional increases because I want this to be a kind of a truncated poncho design. And we'll see how it goes. It's beautiful yarn to knit with. It survived the ripping out, balling up, and re-knitting beautifully. You would never know that I had knit this yarn already, and I didn't soak it or re-skein it or anything. I just wound it up very loosely into a ball, and then I'm just knitting it up again. And the, the dyed-in-the-wool yarn is just so beautiful, the way the colors are you know, softly blending one into another. It's really, ex it's an extraordinary product. So I'm happy to be knitting with it again and uh, looking forward to 
a little bit of a different result. I'm also using a little bit bigger needles than I did on the last project. I'm doing US size six needles throughout and um, just enjoying the knitting of this project. Also on the front porch is an as yet to be determined pattern for my Shackleton yarn. This is yarn that's oh, been long awaited. It's a collaboration from Sarah Hunt of the Fiber Trek podcast and Sarah of Upton Yarns. They collaborated to create a yarn from the Flat Island Fleece by adding a little bit of silk, a 10% silk content to it. They have created a dreamy, dreamy fingering weight yarn in, of course, beautiful steely gray. I have obtained nearly a thousand yards of this yarn and I've just been searching and searching for the right thing to knit. I want it, I don't think I want this to be a garment because I want it to be something that I can use more frequently in every season um, that's incredibly versatile. And I've been looking over the yoga shawl and these other kinds of, they're called shawls often, but to me, it's more of a stole with buttons and buttonholes to create just multiple options of how you would wear and use this. Plus that long rectangular shape also means it can be folded and used as a kind of lap blanket or a pillow, or you could even sit on it if you needed a seat cushion, just something unbelievably versatile and beautiful that could be worn and used on all occasions. It's, it's a tall order for a pattern, but I just was searching on Ravelry a little bit and there's a new pattern by Melanie Berg called A Twist to It. It's knit with about 2,000 yards of yarn, but that is two yarns held double to create a kind of a DK weight. And I'm wondering if I couldn't knit this in a single strand of the Shackleton yarn for kind of a, a more delicate, lightweight kind of stole. It's very tempting. So I think what I will do is not swatch. I think I will just skein up some of this beautiful Shackleton yarn and start knitting the project. And I think within the first half skein or so, I should be able to tell if this is going to give me the weight and the, the fabric and the texture that I'm looking for in this piece. And if not, I'll just, you know, I'll rip it out and I'll keep searching. But that's my idea so far. I even went so far as to empty out my grandmother's button box and to see what kind of very small buttons uh, were there in, in large numbers, because I think you need something like three dozen buttons for this piece. And I did find some beautiful tiny shell buttons. They're not all the same, but if you turn them over, the backs look regular and consistent. So I think those might work perfectly. They're a little bit shimmery, uh, but they're very small and delicate. And that's kind of the look that I'm going for with this particular piece. So we'll see. A third and uh, final project that's on the front porch, this is, I think, well into the future, but I've been thinking about how to use some single skeins of fingering weight yarn in very different colors. And I, I'm really not very enthusiastic at this point um, in about knitting a single skein shawl projects. Uh, these would all lend themselves beautifully to a single skein shawl project. But I just, I feel like I'm too tall and my wingspan is too wide 
to have more and more and more of this same kind of thing in my accessories wardrobe. And much as I have resisted this fade movement, uh, I am considering the, um, is it so faded, the sweater that uses multiple skeins and one blends into another. I'm considering that because I like the idea of creating a sweater's quantity out of several different skeins of yarn in my stash. I don't have a lot of sweater quantities of yarn, so this would be a great way to use some yarn, and not just yarn that I want to use up for my stash, but also some very special skeins that have been given to me. And I've kind of been looking at them and playing with them, thinking about how they might work together. And also because I think the colors are such that um, some of these yarns are gifts and the gift givers really nailed it in terms of colors that I like. So I want to use them and wear them. And I think it could work. But I've been so resistant of this whole fade movement so far. And I really... Yesterday, I had a little bit of knitting time on the porch, and I was watching a recent episode of Brooklyn Knit Folk, and Jacqueline Salem uh, talked about her feelings regarding the fade movement, and I I really, I can identify. I really can. Uh, And I'm looking forward to this um, upcoming hipster cow where you can only knit something with 30 or fewer projects that have already been posted on Ravelry. I'm already gathering my ideas for that. But I think in the meantime, I may be considering jumping onto that bandwagon and seeing if I can create something beautiful from several different skeins of yarn that I would not normally think to put together into a project. So it's still, it's it's really, it's sitting on the railing of the front porch. Uh, it might come up and stay a while. It might just jump off and, you know, hop into the street. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen with this idea, but it's something that I've been considering. Ever-expanding skill set. In June, for hashtag Power Pantry, blend was our culinary technique, and I did use the month to make a whole variety of shakes and smoothies, mostly with almond milk and rice milk, frozen fruit, and I like a banana as a thickener, although I don't purchase bananas too frequently as a rule, but I think they do make a nice addition for the mouthfeel of a shake. And I was, that was sort of the extent of my work on on blend until I visited Vermont when my school year ended It's my usual practice to spend a few days in Vermont on my sister's homestead. It's off the grid. It's a great opportunity for digital detox and really, really hitting that reset button. Um, There's lots of playing with the dog's time. She always can use quite a bit of help in the garden, so there's great physical exertion. The air is so clean and clear The sky is just filled with stars at night because of no light pollution. Um, You can take a bracing swim in the pond. I slept on the screened-in porch, and um, I don't know if I was just sleeping too heavily or they weren't active, but finally, on the last night of my visit, I did hear the barred owl in the woods a couple of times. In the middle of the night, I woke up, and heard it, and then again, just before dawn, just before the rooster starts crowing, I heard the barred owl again. It was just a perfect um, detail of my stay in Vermont. Plus, my sister is just an amazing cook, crafter, and hostess. Uh, You want for nothing when you're there, even though their lifestyle is quite simple. And together, we did a couple of things. One, we wanted to do some natural dyeing. Last year, we made our first indigo vat together, 
and we wanted to do some more indigo dyeing. She had given me a circle skirt, this beautiful wrap skirt made in organic linen. And it was my goal to dye that skirt in kind of a gradient. But I was just nervous. She had made it and I didn't want to ruin it. And I just, I don't know, I had reservations. So all year I just kept the skirt and I didn't do anything with it and I didn't wear it. Uh, Because I tend not to wear all white things. It's just dangerous. So I brought the skirt and I brought some t-shirts that I bought for everyone. And I also brought my yarn from Eloise, the beautiful Shetland yarn. And just a whole bunch of dye products and books. And we just had a day of dyeing. We made two indigo vats. And I did dip dye my skirt in a gradient. I think it came out really well. I'm super pleased. And to match, I dyed a t-shirt using this technique that's illustrated in the modern natural dyer, where you take a running stitch through the fabric and then you cinch it up and then you toss that into the dye vat and it creates this beautiful kind of ribboning effect. And so I did that with a little V-neck t-shirt and Jessica and my mom also, you know, fashioned their t-shirts to throw in the indigo pot as well. And we did one for my sister, Laura, so that we got just a beautiful array of different effects because everyone's looked so different, but they were also beautiful dyed in indigo. Uh, Jessica re-dyed some things that she had. Uh, we also re-dyed some things we had done initially last summer and had faded or hadn't taken the dye completely. And we just felt more confident this time. And then I experimented with a, the indigo, of course, and then a couple other dyes for dyeing this Shetland yarn. Uh, hopefully you're not tired of hearing about this project that I have planned for Rhinebeck, but I I spun that Eloise uh, Shetland fleece into five different skeins of yarn, and two I have kept undyed. There's one that's kind of the most pristine white, and one that's a beautiful silvery gray, and then the others, which are kind of heathered to some degree or another, I stuck in dye pots. So I put one in the indigo, We also made a matter dye pot, and I put one of my skeins in there. It came out a gorgeous, like, coral orange, Um, maybe a Chinese red. It's it's definitely a red-leaning orange. Beautiful. It's a beautiful contrast to the indigo. The Alkanet uh, dye pot was somewhat disappointing, and in reading all of the dye information I have about Alkanet, I think that's kind of par for the course. It looked like maybe it was going to be purple and then maybe it was going to be brown and maybe it was going to be kind of nothing. But in the end, it looks like a kind of brownish pink color. And of course, I didn't bring any of the Shetland yarn that's my main color for this dress project. I didn't bring that with me so I could see how things looked next to one another. And my thought was I won't be able to use this in the dress because it will look too similar to my main color. However, upon bringing that yarn home and setting everything next to each other, I think it will work very nicely. I think it's a subtle difference, but it is a difference. And next to this matter and indigo, it, it looks distinct and interesting. So I think that will be successful. So I have five colors for the color work yoke, and also there's some bottom detailing on this bressy dress. My sister had a um, thrift store find, a really wonderful thrift store find. For $2, she had about a thousand yards of 100% wool. There was no information. This yarn looked like it was maybe from the 30s or 40s with the labeling. I mean, it was just arcane light labeling. 
but it was really nice stuff. And it was in, I think, four or five different skeins and worsted weight yarn, really nice hand to it, really sturdy texture. And we decided to stick some in different dye pods and create a little palette for her to maybe do her first color work at some point. She left one of the skeins undyed, and then she also dyed an alkanet and a matter and an indigo. And it was interesting to see how her yarn, just this wool, nondescript wool, took the dye differently than the Shetland did because there was heathering into it. Her colors were often like brighter and bolder, except for the Alkanet. Uh, the Shetland seemed to respond to the Alkanet with a much more interest and vibrancy than this other wool. So it was, it, it was a great lesson, really, on, on natural dyeing and different techniques and, and color values. The other thing that uh, expanded in my skill set during this Vermont visit was that I learned how to make falafel, something that I never, ever considered before. I tend not to like things that are sort of starch on starch, and falafel on a pita always seems just like super heavy to me. I don't know. I don't like stuffing sandwiches. I don't like tempeh on toast. I don't like things that are two starches joined together. But she said, well, you can just have falafel on a salad or you could just treat it like an appetizer. Oh, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. So we went through all of the steps and I will link this recipe in the show notes. There's a written Mark Bittman recipe and then there's also a really old school minimalist video when he filmed all those minimalist shows for the New York Times and then they went on in these very short videos uh, related to the newspaper. So it's vintage Mark Bittman. In the video, Mark Bittman uses a blender to make this dish. However, I prefer using the food processor attachment for my blender because of my small kitchen and my tendency to avoid lots of appliances because I feel like you put one appliance on the countertop and like you can't use the counter. It's full. So I have as few appliances as possible and I really love these multiple use kinds of things. So I have a blender and then the base also houses a food, a separate food processor attachment. It's small. It's not like a Cuisinart or a Roboku where you can do big quantities, but I tend to do things in batches or just to make less because I'm usually cooking for two and it really works perfectly and I like the coarser texture that I get with the food processor attachment. To make these falafel, you simply soak beans overnight and then you grind them up or blend them up with an onion, maybe some garlic, spices, lemon rind. You can put an egg in if you want to and a little bit of baking soda. And then you form balls and just pan fry them. So just in a little bit of a neutral oil. In the video, Mark Bittman deep fries them. I don't think that's necessary. We just used a cast iron skillet and they cooked up beautifully. And then we served them with this wonderful like dill and Greek yogurt kind of sauce that you can also make in a blender if you choose. They're light and delicious and I had no idea making falafel could be so easy and you could vary the tastes. In fact, we did not use chickpeas to make our falafel. We used black-eyed peas and I think the texture was kind of lighter and more interesting. I don't know. I haven't made them with chickpeas yet, but I have dried chickpeas that I plan to use to make a batch in the future. So falafel, how about that for blend? In July, 
the culinary technique for hashtag power pantry is grill or griddle. It's summer here in North America and, you know, great time for grilling, but not everyone has a grill or access to grilling. And not every situation is perfect for a grill. In fact, sometimes I think griddling or using my cast iron skillet to cook things actually results in a better product. Burgers, for example. Yes, it's fun to do them on the grill and you get that great smoky flavor. But for consistency of cooking and for ease of use, I really do prefer to cook them in my cast iron skillet to griddle them. So grill and griddle. There are great recipe ideas on the Dishing Up the Dirt blog. Andrea Bamis also has a new cookbook. I'm not the owner of one yet, but maybe sometime in the future. But she has a lot of great grilling recipes. I can't wait until snap peas appear at my local farmer's market because grilling those and having a peanut dipping sauce, I need to do a lot of that this summer. So I look forward to your recipe ideas, your photos of you and your grill or griddle, and um, maybe I'll even have some fun facts about grilling and griddling in some future episode. And so forth. I have nearly completed my first Pharaoh dress. It's a pattern by Grainline Studio, and I'm sewing it from a Robert Kaufman shirting fabric. It's the kind of fabric that has a warp of one color and a weft of another, and it creates this beautiful shimmering quality to the fabric. I've used a linen, a watercolor linen, that has a similar effect, but this fabric is much lighter weight. I would say this is very lightweight fabric and perfect for the pharaoh dress because the way that the dress is designed and the pockets are created, you actually have a triple layer of fabric through the center of the dress. There's also some beautiful mitered kind of seams and the pattern gives pretty good instructions for how to do that and how it can come out with a pleasing effect. There's also a tutorial. It's a blog type tutorial, not a video tutorial, but there's a tutorial for creating the Pharaoh dress on the Greenline Studios blog. And I had cut out, I had fashioned the pattern because my practice is always to create my own version of the pattern using my exam table paper much earlier in the year. I can't even remember when I did this. I think it was late winter or very early spring. And I cut out the version of this dress with sleeves. And then I hung it up and I never even started sewing on it. I had even put interfacing on all of the facing pieces. I mean, I was really ready to start sewing this project, but I just didn't. And then Allison wore her beautiful short sleeve or sleeveless, I should say, sleeveless version of this dress at the Washington County Farm and Fiber Tour. And she had sewn it out of this beautiful uh, bespoke double gauze, I think. I'm not exactly sure of this fabric, but it was absolutely gorgeous for the dress. And I started thinking, oh, maybe I don't want the version of this dress with sleeves. Maybe I want it to be sleeveless. She was wearing it under a little shrug, and I thought, "Mm, that's more versatile that way. So this past week, I revisited that pattern, and from the sleeves, I cut the armhole facings that I would need to make the sleeveless version. And then I just double checked the size because it seems to be a very oversized type trapeze uh, lined dress. So I double checked the size, I altered that a little bit and I started working on the sewing of this dress. 
I'm not done, but I've completed enough uh, to try it on and check the fit, which is pretty good. The tutorial was very helpful and the pattern directions are good. It's an, truly an innovative design. I have to figure out if there is a tacking stitch setting on my sewing machine because where the pockets are, it is a good idea to do just a little bit of tacking. You could even use a contrast color thread. I could do this by hand, but I want to see if there's a setting on my machine. And then I need to put in the neckline facing. The shoulder or armhole facings are in, and the only problem I had with this pattern is that it didn't seem like the facings I cut were large enough for the dress size that I cut. I would recommend cutting the facings one size or maybe even two sizes larger than your dress. This is a really tight woven. It's not a rayon, so I don't think that my fabric stretched, even though I didn't use stay stitching. And I followed all directions for the um, seam allowances. So the facing should fit right in, and instead I had to unpick them and sew them again with a much, much smaller seam allowance to be able to ease everything in around the armhole. And it's looking like the same way with the neck facing as well. The facings are really important. I thought about just using bias tape to finish that neckline when I was having trouble fitting everything. But the facings I think are really important for such a lightweight fabric because they really give form and structure to the dress. Another concern I still have is how this hook and eye closure is going to work in the back without any gaping. I do have some concerns about that. Otherwise, I think the pockets and the way the seams came together is extraordinary. I did a lot of finishing on the inside of this dress, like nothing I've ever done before. Everything is finished off on the inside of the dress. I think that makes things lay flat, look a lot better in terms of fit and drape. And I, I'm pretty proud of, of that detail, that level of detail on this dress. So I am looking forward to finishing it, maybe within the next couple of days. And of course, I have already started thinking about a next project. And I want to do a real mashup project. I want to challenge myself taking a pattern that I'm really confident with and making significant changes to it. So for this garment, I have in mind, of course, the staple dress designed by April Rhodes. My fabric is this gorgeous bespoke double gauze. And the changes I want to make are, one, I want to make a significant change to the neckline shaping. I'd like just something that's a little more open because I want this to be a good warm weather wear. And the staple dress is kind of like a closed neckline. It's, it's pretty high. The other thing I want to do is to insert pockets like the Ann Carolyn smock pockets. These are a pocket bag with a cutaway, so there's a reveal of contrasting fabric, if you wish. And I have some really nice fat quarters from Heather Ross uh, Fabric Prints. She was very generous when I visited her booth. Well, she was in the book stall at Rhinebeck, and she was giving away samples of her newest fabric line. And I obtained quite a few of these. They're very generous samples in a beautiful cotton lawn. So a, a nice, I think it's good for pockets because it's lightweight and a very um, high thread count. So I'd like to use those for the pockets and have a, a nice cutaway and reveal of that contrasting fabric. And then I'd like to do a different kind of shaping on this dress. So I noticed from looking again at the Endless Summer Tunic that 
the front is two pieces and there's a very subtle shaping to that front so that when you sew the two front pieces together you get a little bit of waist shaping it's subtle but I would really like to experiment and see what happens um, doing that with cutting the front of the staple dress in two that could also help me with my neckline because maybe I could make a little bit of a V neckline if I do that and I think I could get some ideas for that from the Endless Summer Tunic as well. So that's that's my next foray into the handmade wardrobe. And I, I'm really looking forward to challenging myself in that way and working with this beautiful double gauze fabric. It's been a few weeks since I visited the Modern Living exhibit, but I've still been thinking quite a bit about Georgia O'Keeffe. And I found a quote from her that I think is perfect for 4th of July. Many Americans consider their patriotism uh, when we celebrate the birth of the nation. And I think This passage by Georgia O'Keeffe is a very interesting meditation on being American. I'll read it twice. One cannot be an American by going about saying that one is American. It is necessary to feel America, like America, love America, and then work. One cannot be an American by going about saying that one is American. It is necessary to feel America, like America, love America, and then work. Georgia O'Keeffe Thanks for listening. Music for this episode is so sweet. Music and lyrics by Samuel St. Thomas, performed by Bovine Social Club. 
Eat well and stay strong as you hone your post-apocalyptic skill set this week. Smile. Jump in the river naked and hug your country mind.